Father, we humble our hearts before you this morning. We pray that you meet with us. We pray that you give us ears to hear your word. We pray that you speak to us. I pray that your power and glory is perfected in my weakness, Lord, and I pray that as you speak to us, you cause our hearts to long to love you and to serve others with humility as you have served us, Christ. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Well, good morning. And as Marty was just saying, happy five days before Christmas. It's kind of cool if you think about it that billions of people around the world this week will be celebrating Christmas in a lot of different ways. That's kind of cool to think about, right? And each one of us is probably going to celebrate Christmas. Um, We'll have some similarities in our celebration. We'll have some differences in our celebrations, but I'm just assuming that for most of us, our celebrations will consist of things, family, food, traditions, presents, Christmas trees, stockings, Christmas Eve service, things like that. And with all these things in the midst of all of the food and the busyness and the consumerism and the sentimentality and the family gatherings of Christmas, it can be easy to lose sight of Christ. And I've been thinking about this a lot over the last few years. And if you know me, I wrestle with this every December But the older I get, the more I reflect on the fact that our family Christmas celebrations are anything but Christ-centered. Don't get me wrong. We have a great time with our family. We eat awesome meals, delicious snacks. We open presents. We play games. And we might even go to a Christmas Eve service. But very rarely does my family even talk about Jesus. And so this year, as I've been wrestling with this, I've been asking the question, as Marty gave us why we celebrate Christmas, I've been asking the question, how? How does God want us to celebrate the truth that he became a man? How should we celebrate this good news of great joy? How should we celebrate Christmas? And this morning... Uh, To answer that question, we're going to be looking at Philippians chapter 2. So if you have your copy of God's Word, you can turn there with me. Philippians chapter 2. And I believe this passage will give us some insight into how we should respond to the truth that God became man. And that will give us some direction in how we should celebrate Christmas. And my goal this morning is not to give you a comprehensive way that we should celebrate Christmas. I want to look at one thing. One thing that we should do to celebrate Christ and Christmas properly. So let's look at this passage, Philippians 2, beginning in verse 1. I'm going to read through verse 11. So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing 
from rivalry uh, or conceit. Some translations probably say selfish ambition or conceit. But in humility, count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant and being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. This is God's holy word that cannot and does not fail. So, I believe that this passage gives us one way that we should celebrate Christmas. And that is, we should celebrate Christmas by serving others with humility. And this passage gives us three reasons why we should serve others with humility. And these are my three points this morning. First, we should serve others with humility for the sake of unity, verses 1 through 4. Second, we should serve others with humility to be like Christ, verses 5 through 8. And third, we should serve others with humility to glorify God, verses 9 through 11. So first, we should celebrate Christmas by serving others with humility for the sake of unity, verses 1 through 4. So the Apostle Paul begins in verse 1 with a conditional sentence to make his point. He says, If there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, then complete my joy. Now the then is not there in your passage because it's not there in the text, but it's implied as part of what we would call a first-class conditional sentence. And you're probably like, that doesn't mean anything to me. What Paul is doing is he's assuming that verse 1 is true to make his point in verse 2. And so another way to read this would be, because there is encouragement in Christ, because there is comfort from love, because we are participating in the Spirit, because we have affection and sympathy, because these things are true, then complete my joy by being of the same mind. And I hope that we don't miss the good news behind some of these things that Paul is assuming. Do you need encouragement? There's encouragement in Christ. Do you need comfort? There is comfort in the love that God's people have for one another. Do you feel lonely? We are participating or literally fellowshipping with the Holy Spirit together. Do you need love and compassion? There is love and compassion for one another in Christ. And because these things are true, Paul says, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. The encouragement, comfort, fellowship, love, and compassion that we have from our relationship with God 
in our relationship with others should overflow into unity. Unity. This is what Paul said. This is what Paul means when he says the same mind, the same love, being in one accord and of one mind. Here Paul is defining unity as believers sharing the same profession of faith, the same love of God, and the same love toward one another. And Paul's point to the Philippians and his point by implication to us is to get us to reflect on the unity that we have with our brothers and sisters in Christ and to see if we are living a life that is um, that our, our manner of life is worthy of the gospel of Christ. So let me ask you, is your manner of life worthy of the gospel of Christ? Are you living in unity with your brothers and sisters in Christ? There are so many things Satan is trying to use to divide us. And by the way, we must not underestimate the fact that this is a spiritual warfare. And we must fight for the unity that has already been completed and won for us in Christ Jesus. And we do that, um, interestingly enough, in the same way that we should be celebrating Christmas. As Paul continues in verse 3, Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit. I don't know about you, but when I read that, I think, you're killing me, Paul. If you've ever seen The Sandlot, you know what I'm talking about. But literally, Paul, you're killing my flesh. That's hard for me to read. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit. He's not saying don't do some things. He's saying do absolutely nothing from selfish ambition or conceit. Selfish ambition is to be motivated by yourself. How often are you the driving motivator in your life? And when we're thinking about Christmas as it's just around the corner, how often are you concerned about yourself when it comes to celebrating Christmas? I can't wait to get my presents. I'll be disappointed if they don't like what I got them. I don't want that person to join my party. Paul says, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit. Now, conceit is a vain or exaggerated self-evaluation. Really, it's thinking of yourself more highly than you ought, or actually it's thinking of yourself even less than you actually are. That can be another form of pride as well. How often do you think of yourself more highly than you ought? The problem and challenge is that we are thinking about ourselves too much. And we think too little about God and about how God views us. And placing ourselves at the center will always ultimately lead to discouragement, discomfort, and disunity. But Paul gives us the remedy as he continues. He says, Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but but in humility count others more significant than yourself. Instead of considering yourself to be the most important, we are to consider others as more important than ourselves. We are to value others as more important than ourselves. 
As Paul continues, we are to not only look to our own interests, but also to the interests of others. And I love that Paul adds that little phrase there that it's okay to look to our own interests every once in a while. Sometimes we can, in humility, look out for our own interests and ask someone else to help us out. This in turn will give others an opportunity to serve, and this is a good thing. But Paul says that we shouldn't only look out for our own interests, but to the interests of others. What would it look like for you to look out to the interests of others this Christmas? What would it look like for you to count others as more significant than yourself as you celebrate Christmas this year? So I want to challenge you that as you celebrate Christmas this year, focus on the well-being of others. Take every opportunity that you can to serve others with humility. Now, there's a million different ways that you can do that. Um, And I know COVID makes it a little bit weird, so you have to be creative. But maybe this means for you that you go to the Salvation Army or another nonprofit and you serve this year on Christmas. Maybe this means going out of your way to serve someone in your family that maybe you don't get along with. Or maybe serving someone in your spiritual family. But maybe this means doing what um, someone in our community group does. And I have permission to share this, and I I love the way that he does this. So what he does, Mitch, I just, your eyes are right here, so I'm going to pick on you a little bit. So let's say I'm getting a gift for Mitch. And so what he does is... um, He takes the money that he would spend on a gift to you and he donates it to World Vision. And then World Vision, you can kind of choose different things that you can can get. You can get like chickens or a wheelchair or goats or whatever. And they'll send that to someone in need across the world in honor of the person you're getting the gift for. And so when I give you a gift, you will get a certificate that says, in honor of Mitch Friedman and his mustache... It has been given a chicken to this person or whatever it is. And I think that's just such a cool way to give during this season. Because I don't know about you, I usually, most of the people that I give gifts towards can buy whatever they want whenever they want. But I think this is a great way that we can give to people who are in need. So there are many ways to undo it. But let me encourage you this Christmas to serve others with humility. So what is one way that we can celebrate Christmas? One way, let me rephrase that. What is one way that we should celebrate Christmas? We should celebrate Christmas by serving others with humility for the sake of unity. And second, we should celebrate Christmas by serving others with humility to be like Christ. So my second point this morning from verses 5 through 8, we should serve others with humility to be like Christ. Now, at this point, you may be wondering, unity in Christ and serving others with humility, that's awesome. That's from Scripture. But what does it have to do with Christmas? And I think that's a great question, and I would answer it in two ways. One, this is just everyday Christian life. I'm only talking about Christmas because it's five days away. And two, what does this have to do with Christmas? Everything. Because Christmas, as Marty shared earlier, Christmas is the celebration that God became a man. 
And the reason that we are united and humble is because Christ humbled himself in order to unite us together. And that's why Paul continues in verse 5. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. This is a command. Have this mind among yourself. And this mind that Paul is talking about is what he's going to reference in the rest of this passage. And it's centered on the person and work of Jesus Christ. Now, this beautiful description, this is one of my favorite passages in all of Scripture. This beautiful description of the person and work of Jesus Christ in verses 6 through 11 is written in poetry in the original languages and even in some of our English translations. And a lot of scholars think that this was a hymn that was sung by the early church. And this hymn is divided into two sections, the humiliation of Christ in verses 6 through 8 and the exaltation of Christ verses 9 through 11. So we're going to look at the humiliation of Christ first. And his humiliation and humility is the basis for our humility. Look at verse 6. Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. Jesus Christ was in the form of God, or literally the very essence of God. And Paul begins by stressing the divinity of Jesus. Jesus is God. He is the creator of the world and the heir of all things. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. And although Jesus is God, he did not account equality with God a thing to be grasped. He did not assume that having equality with God was something to hold on to for his own selfish gain. His equality with God was not something to be exploited for his own selfish benefit. Instead, Christ took the mindset of a servant and humbled himself. He did nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility counted others as more significant than himself. And in his humility, verse 7, he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. Now, the idea of Christ emptying himself has been um, controversial, especially in academic circles in the 19th century. And you're thinking again, cool. But in an attempt to answer these questions, scholars said that Christ emptied himself of certain aspects of his divinity. And this is a huge problem because God is his attributes, and if he doesn't have all of his attributes, he's no longer God. But let's not think that this is just an academic problem. Our culture, and many who consider themselves evangelical, have stripped Jesus of his divinity and claim that Jesus is just this good man who gives us a good example that we should follow. And this directly impacts our Christmas celebration, where we probably unknowingly empty Jesus of his divinity. And sure, we maybe briefly talk about eight-pound, six-ounce baby Jesus, but our Christmas celebration is centered on our own selfish indulgence of eating food and opening gifts and being with our family. 
We must not empty Jesus of his divinity and the rightful place at the center of our Christmas celebration. We must not empty Jesus of his divinity because if Jesus is not divine, then he cannot be the only mediator between God and man. So how do we solve this emptied dilemma? Now the verb for empty could mean empty or pour out, but it could also mean give up status and privilege. And so keeping in line with Paul's thought in Philippians 2, it would make sense and it fits very well that Christ would give up his status and privilege as God and empty himself by taking the form of a servant. He did not empty himself of his divine attributes, but he emptied himself. He gave up the privileges of being the king in order to become a servant and be born as a man. He gave up the lavish riches of heaven to come and live in a sin-infected wasteland. The king entered a world full of disease and death to serve and save his people. God came to us in the person of Jesus so that we can be with God. He did not even look to his own interests, but in humility he only looked to the interests of those he came to save, and he was born as a man, as an infant. Now, have you ever seen or held an infant? I don't know if you picture God becoming an infant. Infants are completely helpless, completely dependent Upon another person. And I just love the way that Sovereign Grace sings it in one of their Christmas songs. Who would have dreamed or ever foreseen that we could hold God in our hands? God became an infant. The giver of life is born in the night, revealing God's glorious plan to save the world. God became an infant, God became man. And in verse 8, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. It's amazing to meditate on the truth that the Son of God became a man and entered our broken world, but it's absolutely astonishing to hear what he did next. Jesus had already condescended so low to become a man, and yet as a man he humbled himself even more by becoming obedient to the Father. Jesus is both God and man, 200%, if I could quote Shailen. He has a divine will and a human will. And when he was on earth, Jesus had a human will. And as we learn from John 4, by the power of the Holy Spirit, it was the food of Jesus on earth to do the will of God the Father. And we know that this wasn't always easy. The night before the cross, he was in so much agony of what was about to take place that he was sweating great drops of blood. And in his agony, he cried out to his father, My father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. Jesus Christ humbled himself by becoming obedient to the Father, to death, even death on a cross. The chosen one of God was chosen by God to die. Jesus Christ was born to die. 
but why? Because the wages of your sin is death. The sin that promises you joy and life will lead you to the grave, to quote the hymn. You deserve death and an eternity in hell for your sin. And this is why God sent Jesus. So that all who believe in Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior would be saved from the wrath of God that we deserve. Because God gave himself in the person of Jesus Christ to suffer instead of us the death, punishment, and curse that we deserve for our sins. The chosen one of God was chosen to die for your sin. He has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. He was wounded for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. With his stripes we are healed. The Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. And he was cut off out of the land of the living and stricken for the transgression of his people. That's all Isaiah 53. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For our sake, Jesus became our sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Amen? Do you believe in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? Then have this mind among you. Have the mind of Christ. And this Christmas and really every day, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others as more important to you. Look not only to your own interests, but look to the interests of others. As you celebrate Christmas this year, serve others with humility. So what is one way that we should celebrate Christmas? By ser- one way is by serving others with humility for the sake of unity, to be like Christ, and finally and thirdly this morning, to glorify God the Father. So third point, we should celebrate Christmas by serving others with humility to glorify God. Verses 9 through 11. Jesus Christ humbled himself by becoming obedient even to death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. In other words, because Jesus was humbled to the point of death, God has exalted him above all things. As low as Christ was humiliated is as high as he has been exalted. Jesus Christ has been raised from the grave. And he ascended into heaven where he is now in his glorified body. Do you ever think about that for a moment? Jesus is still in his body. And he is in his body right now, seated at the right hand of God the Father as the Lord of Lords and the King of Kings. He is exalted above everything and everyone on this earth. There is nothing, there is no person, there is no leader or president, there is no family, there is no business, there is no amount of money that can compare to the worthiness and exaltation of Jesus Christ. He is seated on his throne, ruling and reigning as the rightful king. 
And at the end of the day, the humiliation and the exaltation of Jesus Christ is about Jesus as victor. Jesus wins. His ascension into heaven was a sign of his victory. He has achieved the victory through his suffering. He has conquered all of his and our enemies. The cross is about the triumph of Jesus Christ. It's about the destruction of Satan. It's about the victory over the darkness. He rose from the dead and ascended into heaven, and he has conquered sin, death, and Satan. And he secured his reign eternally as the king. The lamb that was slain is the lion that is now sitting on his throne. And God has given to him the name that is above every name. Now this name is not just a label, but it refers to his character and it refers to his position of honor and glory. The eternal son has received the rightful status as the king of kings and all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to him. This is why the apostle Paul can say in verses 10 and 11, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. The idea of bowing the knee and confessing with the tongue means to submit to his lordship and to acknowledge him for who he truly is. And what's amazing is that the extent of the rule of Christ is universal. It's in heaven, it's on the earth, and it's under the earth. To quote Robert Leitner, he says, No intelligent being, whether angels and saints in heaven, people living on the earth, or Satan, demons, in the unsaved in hell, no intelligent being in all of God's universe will escape. All will bow willingly, or they will be made to do so. I've never thought about that before. I studied this passage this week. The saints and the angels in heaven will bow to the lordship of Christ. Everyone on earth will bow to the lordship of Christ. All of the Satan and his demons and the unsaved in hell, they will bow the knee to King Jesus. There is not a single person that you will ever meet who will escape bowing the knee and confessing with their mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord. His rule and his reign is universal. And let this be motivation to share the gospel with others. Let this be our motivation to serve others with humility. Let this be our motivation to worship Jesus Christ. But what I love about this hymn is that the universal submission to Jesus Christ is not the end of it. The ultimate aim of the exaltation of Jesus Christ is to glorify God the Father. God the Father has given Jesus authority over all things. And one day all of creation will rightly praise him as the king of kings. But when Jesus ushers in the fullness of his kingdom, all of that glory is going to God the Father. This means that even in his exaltation, 
Jesus continues to remain the example of what it means to serve others with humility as all of his glory will go to God the Father. And let this be an example for us by serving others with humility to glorify God the Father. And so here we are, Christmas 2020, living in the already and the not yet. Christ has already come. He's been born as a baby. He died on the cross. He rose from the grave. He ascended into heaven. And one day he's going to come back. And when he does, every knee will bow. Every single tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And we are waiting for that. And I just can't wait for that. We're also waiting for this promise in Philippians chapter 3 to come true. But our citizenship is in heaven. And from it, we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. What a glorious promise that we're waiting for when Christ comes back. Our lowly, our sick, our sin-infected bodies will be transformed to be like Christ's glorious body. There will be no more sin. There will be no more suffering. There will be no more COVID-19. Because Christ is going to make all things new. And he's going to wipe away every tear from our eyes. And there will be no more mourning or pain or death anymore. And this is the advent that we are waiting for. When Jesus will come back, he'll judge all things and he'll restore all things to its proper order. And this is what we should be anticipating and celebrating at Christmas. And so as we look to Jesus' first coming and as we wait for Jesus to come back again, let's celebrate Christmas every day by emptying ourselves so that Christ may be exalted. Let's celebrate Christmas by doing nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but instead count others more significant than yourself for the honor of King Jesus. Look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others to glorify God. Serve others with humility to celebrate Christ and to glorify God the Father. So what is one way that we should celebrate Christmas? We should celebrate Christmas by serving others with humility for the sake of unity, to be like Christ, and to glorify God our Father. Let's pray. Father, we bow our knees and confess with our mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord. And because we submit to you, because we believe in you, I pray that you cause our hearts to long to serve you this Christmas and every single day. Father, be glorified in our service to you. Help us by your grace and by the power of your Holy Spirit to do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, 
but instead count others as more significant than ourselves. Change our hearts, Lord. Cause us to celebrate you, Jesus, this Christmas. And as you do that, I pray that you make your kingship and your rule and your kingdom known in all of the earth. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.